Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. So you've, you've called the book um, The Smith Rigdon Movement. Why did you include Rigdon in there? I, um, having uh, taken a really good hard look at the history of American Christianity, the, uh, the milieu of what was going on in the 1820s and 30s in Eastern United States, uh, the term even restoration was not part of Joseph Smith's original vocabulary. You look at the early revelations, and he never uses the word restoration. He talks about a great and marvelous work is about to become is about to come forth. And that was always understood to mean the Book of Mormon by the mm-hmm. early church people. Yeah. Um, the term restoration movement is applied to Alexander Campbell, uh, Barton Stone, and the their efforts, which began early in the 1800s to restore the New Testament first century Christian church. Joseph doesn't pick up on that theme until Sidney Rigdon teams up with him. Okay. Sidney Rigdon was part of Alexander Campbell's organization. Well, it wasn't really an organization in the same sense of, of today, but but uh, Sidney Ring was a, a Baptist preacher, and in, and we're we're talking old style Baptist, not Southern Baptist in the American expression, mm-hmm. um, and and he was was a partner with Alexander Campbell. Uh, Rigdon often wrote in Alexander Campbell's church newspaper called the Millennial Harbinger. He often went on preaching visits and mission trips with Alexander Campbell. Um, and uh, uh, he, he was the bishop, Sidney Rigdon was the bishop of a whole district of those kinds of Baptist churches in the Kirtland, Ohio area until the summer of 1830 when Alexander Campbell and, and Sidney Rigdon came to loggerheads over the issue of communitarianism. Okay. Rigdon believed that all things in common was part of the New Testament church. Campbell said, no, that was just one expression at one you know given time, and that wasn't for the whole church. And uh, they finally just had had enough with each other. And so Rigdon left. And uh, so Rigdon is still the bishop of this group of churches that were all of a similar mindset with him. Part of Rigdon's uh, oversight included Isaac Morley and the farm, which was just down the hill from where the Kirtland Temple now stands, who then the Morley uh, farm and family, they were a communitarian society. Sidney Rigdon uh, was training young men to become preachers in his style of of interpretation of the Bible. Uh, Two of those young men's names were Parley P. Pratt and Orson Pratt. They were preachers in the Alexander Campbell Restoration Movement. 
another one was Edward Partridge. Uh, and those names would be familiar to any LDS folks who know anything about the Kirtland era. Yeah. Um, so uh, Parley Pratt is the one who became aware of the Book of Mormon, comes back to Kirtland with it and says to Sidney, his mentor, um, I, you ought to take a look at this. This is interesting. And Sidney's first response, we know that from history, was, oh, come on. But then yeah. after he read it, uh, he had a different, he had a change of heart and he goes to, uh, to uh, Pennsylvania and spends the rest of the winter into spring with Joseph. And they start, and they continue, they working on, they're working on the inspired revision to the Bible, the Joseph Smith translation. Well, Sidney Rigdon was highly trained, educated. He was a man of book learning. He was mm -hmm. a skilled uh, preacher, orator, uh, and could, you know, explain the gospel and all of this very well. Joseph was not uh, well-educated. Uh, he had difficulty putting a full sentence together in proper grammar sometimes. Um, and uh, Sidney says to Joseph over the winter, you know, you really ought to move to Ohio where I'm at plenty of good farmland and you know I've got lots of people there Sydney's group of people were almost a thousand in yeah. half a dozen or so different congregations and uh, Joseph eventually says yeah so Joseph's little group of a hundred people merges with Sydney's group of a thousand people uh, and Sydney becomes by revelation becomes the spokesperson to the prophet in one of Joseph's revelations. And what he says is what God says is what I say is what God says. And so then we, we, we learned that Sidney actually was the one who wrote the lectures on faith, of course, with Joseph's approval, but Sidney was the one that put pen to paper and articulated those six lectures, yes. which used to be part of the Doctrine and Covenants. Um, and uh, they were the lectures used in the school of the prophets to teach the, the leaders of the church. Um, I think it was eight or nine of the original 12 apostles were, were all Sidney Rigdon's people. Um, so the church became more Sidney's church than it did Joseph's church in, in a manner of looking at it. And so rather than calling it the latter-day saint movement which many churches on the chart to this day would not really acknowledge that terminology uh and rather than just calling it simply the restoration movement the smith rigdon movement seemed to make sense just as scholar in the scholarly not a faith name but a scholarly working academic name for the movement just as in in the uh disciples of christ and so on it's called the stone campbell movement Barton Stone, Alexander right. Campbell. It's not what the people call themselves. Uh, many of them might just call themselves Campbellites. Uh, but uh, Alexander Campbell's really antagonistic anti-Book of Mormon pamphlet that was published in 1831 is, is more of a, uh, he was so upset with Sidney Rigdon <laughs> more than anything else that it comes out right. as a critique of the Book of Mormon. 
because Sidney Rigdon took away a significant portion of people that had been following Campbell's principles. I was going to say a thousand um, people back then. Well, indeed, and you're out in the countryside, you know, I mean, we're, yeah. we're way out of civilization. Uh, you know, it was called the Western Reserve. It, it was barely organized as a state by the time this all gets going. Um, so I, I think it, it just makes common sense from an academic viewpoint to refer to the movement that way rather than co-opting the word restoration, which, which again is not limited to even Alexander Campbell and Barton Stone. That whole restoration of the original church movement started way back in the probably uh, uh, you know, even with the Anabaptists back in the late 1500s uh, in Europe. Uh, so it was a long, drawn out kind of a movement. The Puritans, uh, you know, and, and uh, uh, the folks that came to uh, North America on the Mayflower, uh, that was a restoration movement, too. They, they wanted to get rid of the gilded rubbish in the church. Yeah. Because that wasn't in the it wasn't in the New Testament. Uh, that's I'm borrowing Oliver Cromwell's uh, terminology for all the stuff that was on the altar in the church. He called it gilded rubbish. Uh, <laughs> so, so you know, for for just Joseph Smith's people to say, "Oh, we're the Restoration Movement," it's not really a good academic term that helps identify it clearly. So, that's where I'm coming from with that. Yeah. Uh, and uh, but I did keep the title original to the first edition by calling it Divergent Paths of the Restoration. Yes. Uh, because when I wrote the first edition, I didn't only, I only knew about us. Uh, yeah. I wasn't really knowledgeable about the rest of it all. So. So um, if I can ask, where do you stand on uh, the situation that obviously in the Brighamite sect people go back to as the moment where Brigham was chosen? Um, and that was when he was speaking and took upon him, I guess, the, the image of Joseph. Yeah. Well, um, not everybody saw that. <laughs> there were several hundred people in the Grove at Nauvoo during that meeting. Um, people didn't really talk about, you know, and the few people that did talk about it, it wasn't until later. At that meeting, Brigham was not voted to be the successor to Joseph Smith. The 12 were sustained in their uh, office and calling, and Sidney Rigdon was sustained as a counselor to that presidency. Okay. And that gets lost in the Utah LDS telling of the story. So Sidney was not rejected. Uh, he, he wanted to be called the guardian of the church, and they said, no, nah, we're going to just sustain the 12 in their office and calling as as the temporary presidency of the church in sydney you still will be the counselor in the presidency like you have been and uh, that wasn't good enough for sydney and within a few weeks brigham young excommunicated sydney sydney returned the favor and excommunicated brigham young and so who had who had any authority at that point yeah uh, uh now sydney was not by that point in his life something happened to him in the liberty jail I think he probably had a nervous breakdown. We don't have any medical way to determine that. But he wasn't the same Sydney 
after that that he had been in the early years of Kirtland. Uh, okay. He no longer had that preaching power that he used to have. And uh, so, you know, he, he, he was no competition. And, and the church organization, and, and there were two at different times afterwards, uh, he pulled off a, a large group of people, but I don't think it was ever more than a thousand. Um, and uh, he was, but, but in his first rendition of, of church, which was first called the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and then later shortened to Church of Christ, uh, William Bickerton was baptized and became a member of Sidney Rigdon's Grand Council, which was an equivalent to the Council of 50 that Joseph had done. And then when Rigdon's church organization fell apart, Bickerton and his colleagues were kind of left without a church. They uh, uh, had missionaries from Utah come through and they hadn't known about them very much before. And so they joined the Salt Lake group and then found out within days about polygamy and, and left immediately and continued for several years on their own until Bickerton goes out and prays about it and has a visionary experience similar to Joseph's. Uh, experience in the Grove, and uh, he organizes the church, reorganizes the church. In the first few years, his church was called the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and their church paper was called the Ensign back in 1850-60. Um, so, okay. and they continue to this day. Um, but uh, Fantastic. Um so at this recently there's been a documentary speaking about um the martyrdom of joseph smith and going over the details and it has i say alluded to the fact that it has accused church leaders of actually um organizing the martyrdom of joseph smith and that it was john taylor and willard richards who were in the cell with him who actually uh, performed that yeah. in order to remove Joseph yeah. and create this opportunity for Brigham um, to take over the church in that respect. Have you heard of any of that? I've heard of that, yes. Um, I've heard of that. I know some of the principles that were involved in that. And, uh, you know, all I can say is that, well, it makes for a very tantalizing tale yeah, it uh, was. for conspiracy <laughs> Um, I, I, uh, I'm hard pressed to accept that theory. Uh, but you know, I'm, I'm open to any evidence that might prove otherwise. I, I just, uh, I'm hard. I, I find it hard to, to take at face value. Yeah. Um, okay. and, uh, you know, you know, Dallin Oaks, uh, way, way, way back. Uh, before he was even BYU president, I mean, we're going back a long time. Uh, I think when he was still teaching at the University of Chicago, uh, wrote a book called The Carthage Conspiracy. And, and you know, that book pretty well debunks a lot of that. And, and this is old stuff. So, you know, okay, you know, he was a faithful, you know, follower of the Brigham Young uh, uh, expression of the movement. Uh, but uh, he was all—he he was a very competent researcher and writer too. I—I just—I have a hard time with that. Yeah. Theory. Okay. Well, if we fast forward to the 1920s, we've got the Second yeah. Declaration, 
Um, and here we've we've got a large kind of offshoot, um, the Council of Friends, and this then splinters into the fundamentalist um, polygamous sects that we have today. Uh, right. yeah. I pre previously interviewed a member of the work who, and that's a okay. part of the FLDS um, that splintered off. Right. Um, right. And he was speaking about this event in 1920 with John Taylor, yeah. where yeah. Um, there was, I guess, a blessing given according to these brethren. And right. they were charged with keeping the, the sacred everlasting covenant of marriage going right. until the government uh, relinquished, I guess, control of the church and accepted polygamy again. And then they would yeah. bring, bring it back to right. uh, the Brighamite sect. Um, right. Can you tell us uh, anything about that, I guess, offshoot? Well, uh, you know, the, uh, polygamy did not stop with the 1890 manifesto. Uh, that manifesto, Wilfred Woodruff, uh, who succeeded John Taylor as president and leader uh, of the LDS church, he basically said, we don't practice it in Utah. And many church authorities, officials were going down to Mexico and getting married plurally, or they were taking ships off the coast of California out past the international boundary and getting married on ship. So it was still happening. And so you ended up with additional manifestos along the way. Finally, 1920 is an interesting time period. The new editions of the Book of Mormon Doctrine and Covenants and Pearl of Great Price were published in 1920. There were a lot of uh, changes to what had been, not that the content was changed so much, but the way it was presented. The temple uh, rituals were changed. Um, and uh, so for whatever reason, the Woolley brothers uh, and some of their cohorts who still believed in polygamy, and, and it was not a narrow group of people that still practiced or believed in it. Um, it was pretty widespread. Um, when, when finally, you know, the, the church just put a stop to it completely. And uh, you had uh, two apostles that were excommunicated uh, because they had practiced polygamy, even though their marriages had taken place outside of Utah. Um, and so they, they get together this like-minded group of friends and uh, have a meeting. It was in Salt Lake City. Uh, what what do we do, brethren? And uh, uh, Lauren Woolley ordained several of these people to the special priesthood office um, of uh, <clears throat> high priest apostle um, kind of a okay. way of saying it. And uh, <clears throat> they were uh, they were bound to each other to continue uh, the the practice of the sacred everlasting covenant, um, and uh, it quickly devolved into a uh, lots of bickering over who had authority and what. It, it, it's the same question that has plagued the church from the beginning. Yeah, uh, who has the authority to receive revelation and whatnot, and so. Even among the Woolley group uh, of seven high priest apostles, um, 
there were divisions very quickly emerged about you know well well you know this guy the the leader died and so in in uh, Short Creek down on the Utah Arizona border they ordained the next guy to be the leader but the Salt Lake folks didn't accept that and so they ordained a different guy and then accusations went back and forth and uh and then uh down in in uh, colorado city yeah. uh, short creek uh, uh the uh, uh uh leroy johnson decided to just not call new people to the council and he'd been in charge down there for decades and uh he basically set up a first presidency like uh, as, as the critics, the critics called it, the one-man rule, uh, and his successor, Rulin Jeffs, was persuaded to incorporate the organization as the Fundamentalist Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, mm -hmm. and uh, Jeffs was in turn succeeded by his son, Warren Jeffs, and, and it was at the time of incorporation under Rulin and a little bit before that, the people uh, in Centennial Park which yeah. is the work, uh, they said, no, we don't, we're not going to go with this one man rule business. We're going to have, we need to have the council. And so, um, uh, Alma, uh, oh dear, Timpson and, uh, what was the other surname? Uh, uh, it escapes me, uh, off the, I can't think it's of okay. it. I apologize. You look it up in the book. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, and, and, you know, they, Centennial Park, which is just across the highway from, from uh, the Short Creek communities, the, the Hilldale, Utah, uh, Colorado City, Arizona communities, they've been really successful. And, uh, uh, you know, they, they quietly go about doing their thing. And, uh, you know, I, I've, I've driven through there and they've got their own school. They've, the houses are just absolutely gigantic. Mm. Uh, but you know, I, I think many of the, the men have, if not all, at least some of their wives living in the same house, uh, because some, some of those houses, you know, two and three stories high must have, you know, 10, 15, 20,000 square feet of living space. They're gigantic and they, yeah. they build them all themselves and they've become well known in the construction business in that part of the United States. And, uh, often you'll see, uh, a lot of the the them and some of the other folks at Colorado City with construction companies doing huge construction projects in Las Vegas, which is only two hours drive away. Yeah. Um, so uh, the 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 fundamentalist church, which has most of the folks in Hilldale and Colorado City, uh, lots of trouble over Warren Jeffs's uh, leadership and and uh, allegations against him that were uh, proven in court. Yeah. He still remains the prophetic leader, but he's in jail. And so yeah. uh, a lot of their properties were taken into uh, receivership by a state appointed uh, person who's not a member of any of the churches uh, because they were living all things in common. But Jeff's was, you know, got somebody got mad at him. And so he'd just take away the guy's house and family. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that uh, that's been really disruptive for the community. And in fact, uh, one of the young men, uh, 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 oh dear, I, I'm sorry. My, my mind doesn't, uh, Willie, uh, it's okay. Dear. He was the Bishop. 
uh, Willie uh, Jessup, I think it was. He was the bishop under uh, Warren Jeffs, and, and he's got a group now that's meeting independently uh, with him as their bishop. He doesn't claim to be the prophetic successor or anything. Up in Salt Lake City, you have the Apostolic United Brethren, which has stayed pretty unified. Uh, they were uh, uh, they were led for many years by uh, 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 Rulin C. Allred and then Rulin Allred's brother, uh, Marvin, and, and then down the line. They built uh, temples and actually began practicing again a temple ritual separate from the LDS church, which for a long time they they were all against. They were saying, no, we're not the church. We're excluded from the temple, but, you know, Thomas S. Monson, Russell Nelson, whoever it is, is still president of the church. They don't, they just don't have priesthood authority to do uh, plural marriages. Yeah. But the Apostolic United Brethren, in, in their uh, kind of their headquarters area in the southern part of Salt Lake Valley, they have uh, an endowment house or a temple. And yeah. they've, they've uh, over the last 20 years, gone to doing the full. Now, the, the endowment ritual that they do is would probably be unfamiliar to most modern LDS folks because they're using a, an older version. Yeah. Uh, and they built a temple down in Mexico as well in a community down there. Uh, happens to be on Joseph Smith Avenue in the town of Ozumba, Mexico. Wow. But it's a, it's really quite a, a well, I mean, it's a, a nice facility and they've been doing uh, endowments there for uh, maybe 30 years or so. But, but recently in the Apostolic United Brethren have, have been broken up over who has the authority because certain traditions weren't observed exactly the same way and um, so it's just, you get, you get humans involved in things. And uh, just like we were talking earlier about the folks in the ward who didn't want to move their chair inside the chapel, yeah. um, you know, we, we, uh, we have our ideas. We want to, we want our ideas to have meaning. We want our lives to have meaning. And, uh, uh, you know, Joseph Smith opened it up. He said, anybody can approach God and get, you know, inspiration. And uh, so here we have about 500 expressions of the movement in my book that I've been able to catalog. Uh, and about 120 of them still operating today. Yeah. Um, and and in, in almost every case, there's some prophetic leader who claims direction from God. Uh, and uh, as I said earlier, I've, I've met lots of these people. I, I find most of them to be absolutely sincere and rational and believable people. Um, so, you know, who am I to say that this one is right or that one is wrong? I know, no, I can't even say that I know. I'm where it's right for me in my experience of 40 years. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, some of my friends in these other uh, uh, expressions, it's right for them, for their, you know, wherever they've been for the last 40 or 50 years of their life. So um, I, I, I try to, you know, give people the benefit of doubt. Um, it, uh, and, and you either choose to go that route or you choose to reject faith in anything at all, I think. I'm not sure there's anything in between. Yeah. Uh, 
Well, but, but the, life is not like that. So, yeah. yeah. Well, having interviewed, it was uh, Clayne Wademan. Um, if anyone wants to see that interview, I'll put the link just above now. Uh, but he was saying, like you were saying about the construction and different things, that um, he lived in one house with all the mothers and 50 other children. And, yeah. you know, it was once you were 12 or 13, you went out on the construction site. Yeah, all, the money, yeah. all, the, all the money went to dad to upkeep the houses, right. and et cetera, right. and was kept within the, within the congregation. And, yeah, yeah they, they lived that way. An interesting thing. You think is your was, energy bills are high now, huh? Yeah. Well, an interesting Can you imagine was, feeding 50 children? Wow. Yeah. Well, his dad then got another 15. Um, he was given. Because yeah. much like earlier, we were saying you never say no to a calling. When you're in the polygamous right. sect, you never say no to a wife. Because right. the wife yeah. the wife has been given by God. Um, and this right. was a, wi a widow with 15 children. Yeah. So his dad got yeah. another another fifteen children. He was saying that his granddad, um, who also had thirteen wives, now had a thousand offspring. Um, oh my! Wow! When you when you go down yeah, through yeah. grandchildren and great grandchildren, uh, which was amazing. But he said that they struggle with the ecosystem because you still have prophets, yeah. or you still have eighty year old apostles marrying eighteen year old right. girls. Yeah, and you, yeah, and, the, and yeah. then you have thirty-year-old brethren who don't have any wives because wives there, all, yeah. there aren't enough sisters to go around. Um, right. So yeah. it's it's just interesting that that still happens today. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think another amazing one that I saw, um, and that comes out of the church in Africa, and with the priesthood ban. And the fact that the the missionaries setting up uh, wards or branches in Africa, and then the church almost not pulling out of Africa, but there weren't enough white brethren to keep up with the growth of the church. Right. So yeah. the African brethren broke off and formed their own um, sects with their own priesthood. Right. Yeah. Um, there, and, there have been three or four of those at least, uh, yeah. you know, in, in Western Africa. Uh, I'm sure there are more, uh, but we just haven't come across them yet. Yeah. Um, I, uh, uh, you know, in Europe where, you know, there's a significant population of, of uh, Smith Rigdon people, um, you know, and I've only come across a handful yeah. of uh, alternative expressions. Um, uh, there's there's got to be more out there. It's language is a different uh, challenge uh, these days. Internet savvy, you know, may or may not be. And I, I've you know I can't keep track on the internet of all the different stuff that goes on that's related to everything but the official mainstream LDS church. There's thousands of websites yeah. uh, promoting some facet. Um, some, uh, you know, there's several that were promoting uh, kind of a, 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 a Hebrew Mormonism kind of a thing with a with a Passover uh, ritual based on the Book of Mormon rather than uh, the Old Testament. And 
there's just so many. And so what I have in the book that are basically internet expressions are just a small sample. Yeah. Uh, just, uh, uh, you know, no, no physical location and internet websites come and go, you know, with the drop of a pin. And uh, uh, you just, there's just no way to keep track of all of it, I don't think. No. Well, I'm impressed that right. whoever put this graphic together has the School of the Prophets in the early 1980s, which I think yeah. is the Lafferty movement, which... No, um, it's not Lafferty. It's, it's, the, it's uh, Robert Crossfield. Okay. With who uh, the Lafferty's were part of him. Okay. And then they split, and the Lafferty's had their own, and the murders and all of that came out. But okay, this yeah. one in the 80s would be uh, Robert Crossfield, okay, uh, who was a Canadian who moved to Idaho and then ended up in uh, Utah. Uh, and uh, he, uh, Robert Crossfield, issued uh, more than 200 revelations that have all been printed. Lafferty's came into that organization. Uh, the late eighties, early nineties. Uh, I think. Well, the the murder the murders were nineteen eighty four. Nineteen eighty four. Yeah. Okay, so they were right early on then. Okay, so yeah, they yeah. they were probably at about the time that, that uh, Crossfield moved to Utah. Yeah. Uh, he was down in Salem, Utah, which is the southern end of Utah Valley. Uh, the, the Lafferty's were living in the northern end of Utah Valley. Yeah. And uh, so that's, so they joined right early when he moved down there from Idaho then. Okay. okay. Well, I think, because yeah. obviously yeah. Under, under the Banner of Heavens just aired on yeah. Hulu. So that's a, a big thing at the moment in the States. And obviously right. the TV show doesn't cover um, the whole movement at the School of the Prophets, oh, just yeah, the, yeah. the Lafferty yeah. section the of that. Yeah, yeah. But something right. it brought out um, was, and something that you've got in the book, was the one mighty and strong revelation. Yes. And that for yeah. a lot of these movements, the one mighty and strong revelation has been almost the catalyst um, yes. for brethren to stand up and declare themselves or be declared the one mighty and I strong. Am, am. Yeah. 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 And and that's probably one thing that shot Joseph's church in the foot um when he he gave that yeah have giving people the the opportunity to declare themselves right and I, right i would yeah. i wonder if he was speaking about himself um that there would be some some future event <laughs> Um, but it's just uh, been misinterpreted over the years. Alpheus Cutler's people still today are looking for that. They call him the Moses man okay. in everyday parlance, but it's the one mighty and strong that they're talking about. And they had a guy in the 70s that, that came to them and they accepted him and then he declared himself to be one mighty and strong and they were done with him. Uh, so... But yeah, it's uh, there have been dozens of people over the last almost 200 years now of the movement yeah. uh, who have either self-declared or have been declared by followers uh, or have been wondered about if they might not be the one mighty and strong. Uh, the the uh, 
the Elijah message people, for example, they believe that it's John the Baptist that's the one mighty and strong. And it was John the Baptist who visited their uh, man, uh, Otto Fetting, in uh, 19, uh, is it 28 or 29? And, uh, and subsequently, several others have had visitations from John the Baptist until there's been 120 plus messages dictated by John the Baptist to different people. And uh, now there's more than 120. There's got to be three or 400 as I stop and think about it. Uh, but but for that whole group of people, it, John the Baptist is the one mighty and strong that was that came in the last days. Uh, so when is the last days? That's really the question. Was Joseph right. Smith in it's, the last days? Yeah. Or was 100 years the last days or are we now in the last days yeah um, an interesting bit of trivia is that about 15 years ago here in asia the lds church changed their name now in english it's still the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints but in chinese characters which which are the foundational uh, vocabulary roots We seem to have lost Steve. Bear with me. Bear with me. You're back. It's okay. okay. I, we've timed out. I, I see the timer up in the corner. It's like, Steve, you just put it in gear and you never stop. Um, <laughs> it's okay. The, the, name, the name of the, the Utah folks here is in, in all of the world is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints with a hyphen and a small d, which is the British Convention of Spelling. Um, but uh, the Chinese characters, which are the basis for uh, vocabulary in many of the Asian languages, Chinese, Japanese, uh, Vietnamese, um, and, and Chinese in the mainland, Chinese in Taiwan, Chinese in Hong Kong, um, the, the Chinese characters for latter days used to uh, imply end of the world. Okay. And in 2005, they changed those two Chinese characters to mean later time period. So they moved away from that millennialistic end of the world language here. Now, it still translates the same back and forth, except the Chinese characters have meaning in and of themselves. And so now the LDS church in, in most of Asia is called the Church of Jesus. Let's see. So it's the Church of Jesus Christ, later time period saints, instead wow. of end of the world saints. Uh, that is a dramatic shift in theology. Yeah, it is. A dramatic shift in theology. And, and I know here in Korea, it caused several thousand LDS folks to walk away from the church. Because, wait a minute, we've been taught the second coming was nigh, and now you're telling us that we're not in the end of the world. We're now just in a later time period. Wow. Um, and uh, the, the, the Book of Mormon and Doctrine and Covenants Pearl of Great Price were also issued in new translations, at least here in Korea, in the same year. And the translations are really well done, but they put it in modern Korean vernacular instead of the archaic literary Korean. And so the words of the sacrament prayers, for example, are different. The meaning's still the same. The English is still the same, 
but the words, the vocabulary used to express those in Korean was changed to be uh, more uh, up-to-date vocabulary. And, and the LDS folks here just, they, uh, they were, many of them weren't having it. Wow. Uh, and, and I don't know if the same thing happened in Japan and in, in Taiwan or, or in Hong Kong. Uh, but, uh, it was, uh, you know, the, 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 the change was dramatic and, you know, I, I'm not up to date on, on Chinese language translations of the scriptures. I, I, I'm fluent in Korean. And so I, you know, I know the Korean and I know some of that that goes on and I can read the websites that have the new translations on them. And, uh, oh, you know, when I was a kid 50 years ago here, it would have been so wonderful to have that new translation because the translation we had to use of the Book of Mormon was so archaic. Nobody knew what it said. <laughs> it, was done in high, it was done in high level literary. You know, it's like like uh, like the King James version of the yeah. Bible as opposed to the uh, revised uh, English version. Yeah, uh, very different. Uh, so uh, but uh, <clears throat> so, you know, are there groups here in Korea that maybe have organized separately? Could very well be. You know, I, I don't know how to track them down. And, uh, you know, I did find one guy back when I was a 20 year old missionary that had started his own you know, LDS version of a church, uh, and he's in the book. Um, so, you know, wherever there's people that are thinking and praying, there's going to be different answers come up. And, well, uh, yeah. Well, you know, and uh, different ways of expressing faith. I guess the, the last two I want to uh, touch on, um, one in 2007, the Latter-day Church of Jesus Christ, and for legal reasons, that's now changed to the restored branch of Jesus Christ. Um, right, in, in uh, England there. Yeah, yeah here in, in Derbyshire in England with Matthew Gill. Um, I've, Matthew previously Gill. Yeah, I've previously interviewed him as well, and I'll put the link just up okay. above right, right yep. now. Um, but that was yep. interesting to me uh, because yes. I, I have a lot of personal experience with Matthew Gill, and I felt like he okay. was... Um, or when I say personal experience, I'd never met Matthew Gill, but I know a lot of people around Matthew Gill. He was in the neighboring ward to me for a long time. And okay. also grew up in a ward where I lived later in life. So I knew a lot of secondhand oh. Oh, yes. um, mm -hmm. contemporary uh, stories of Matthew and his, his yeah. story. Um, mm -hmm. But the interesting thing there was he, he felt like the most for me at least, um, the best analog of Joseph Smith still alive today in the fact that he claims to have received plates, to have received the Urim and Thummim, and to have made translations yep. of those plates um, right. to, to accompany the Book of Mormon, etc. cetera. Yep. Um, so I thought yes. that one was interesting. Um, is he in the book? I'd not looked, I'd not got... Yeah, yes, yes, yeah. Matthew Gill's in the book, and and uh, you know I can't remember the timing of the change of the name. It may not be the current name. It may be the Latter Day uh, yeah. Church of. I think the Latter Day, was, I, I, however, that was. Yeah, he was basically uh, but, saying you know, I've, I've, the church hit him with a large lawsuit um, when he called himself the Latter Day Church of Christ. Yeah, uh, not so surprising. He, yeah. But he, he does he does watch so hello Matthew um, 
you're you're in the book so go go get a copy of yeah. it and look yourself up um and then finally yeah. the, the remnant and the snufferites who are growing yeah, yeah. in popularity yeah, sure. um, and, yeah. and I, I see Snuffer as kind of a Brigham Young in the fact that he didn't declare himself at first to be right. uh, a prophet, etc. He broke from the yeah. church, and then when they right. excommunicated him, he then took upon himself a mantle, a prophetic mantle. It's been interesting to watch his group go through two or three revisions of the scriptures, uh, one of the earlier renditions of their scriptures had lots of stuff that Snuffer, you know, revelations from Snuffer, and uh, they'd added lots of things to uh, to the Old Testament, for example. Uh, and then then a lot of that stuff got taken out in a later version of the scriptures. And, uh, you know, the basic texts are the Old and New Testament, the Book of Mormon, the Doctrine and Covenants. Uh, but uh, a lot of... Um, a lot of stuff from him that was in the first renditions of those books are not in the later renditions. Uh, and, you know, that, there may be some wisdom. You kind of have to be careful about changing the Bible and adding the book of the wisdom of Joseph Smith and Denver Snuffer uh, to the Old Testament, uh, you know. Uh, and, and I'm not quoting that exactly right, so uh, I'm not meaning to demean uh, Denver and the work of his folks. Um, you know, doing an addition of the scriptures is a massive undertaking. Yeah. Uh, and when you have a prophetic leader, as Denver Snuffer is for his people, um, just as Joseph Smith continued to add to the canon of scripture over his lifetime, we should normally expect that any successors of his would do the same. And I think that, I mean, in, in, community of Christ, you know, the successors of Joseph Smith have continued to add to the Doctrine and Covenants. We're up to section 165 now. Uh, I was at Sunstone a few years ago, and I made reference to section 160 something, and some sister in the group that was listening was, well, there's not 160 sections. And I said, well, which edition are you referring to? She says, well, the Doctrine and Covenants. And I held them up, and I said, which one? <laughs> so, you know, uh, you know, if Denver Snuffer's a prophet, fine. Uh, if he receives revelation, fine. He has perfect right to add or modify or adjust the scriptures, just as Joseph Smith had when he was revising the Bible. Yeah. Uh, so, well, I, you know, that, yeah. Yeah. Matthew Gill's got over 200 sections now of the right. Doctrine and Covenants. Yeah. And, and they, yeah. they removed around 30 of the mm. sections from the Brighamite sect because they couldn't be confirmed to be from Joseph Smith. Oh, I see. Okay. So yeah. thing, things I, like I, I have not kept up to date with him and, and the versions of no, the no, scriptures. Early on, I got the book of Jeronek. So my entry on him may be a bit dated and probably needs to have some input uh, on it. So uh, anyway, well, uh, all these scriptures that are running out there are worthy of reading. Uh, and you judge for yourself. I mean, that's uh, no, you fantastic. Know, fantastic. Anyway, yeah, great. So, well, our time is far spent, but I'm I think sorry. It's been, yes, it's okay. No, I think it's been I think it's <laughs> been well spent. 
<laughs> edit it down. PD, I, I've enjoyed chatting with you. I, I, I'd love to be in the same room with you, and, and uh, we could probably talk for days on end. Yeah, no, uh, it's been great. I, uh, I've really enjoyed it because it, it's just such an interesting um, like area because it's so like everything not approved by Deseret Book or by the the brethren in Salt Lake is downtrodden and and you know I'm sure if they could they'd burn it all um, because some might I, I don't think yeah. they all would some might want to yes yeah. But yeah. I I think it's a great PR kind of effort over a hundred years that they've done to be able to not even have to make any effort to brand everything not from church as anti-Mormon, even the good mm. stuff. Um, yeah, if, yeah, if it's yeah. not on the church website or if it doesn't have the church's logo stamped on the back, then it's, right. it's, it's unapproved and it's wrong. It's unapproved. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but I think we've, we've, We've had a good rummage around. Everyone, please go out. Use the link in the description below to get yourself a copy of Steve's book, um, The Divergent Paths of the Restoration, an Encyclopedia of the Smith-Rigdon Movement. Because it's fantastic. I will continue reading. Um, and I hope you will continue, if you've got the time, revising as new movements come and go. Maybe uh, President Uchtdorf will finally get his way and you know start his own little movement here in europe i think that would be amazing to see an actual see an actual apostle yeah i, I like him very much I, I he's got such a great personality and yeah. a good grasp of of what life's about i he's he's a unique he, he's the one that's he's the only one that's not a lawyer or a banker among the yes. group yeah, I think when, <laughs> it's great. when when they called him, did they call um, Bednar at the same time? And I think those I, two, I can't remember. Yeah, yeah, those those two could not be further apart on the They're very different yep. kind of liberal scale. Yeah, um, very different. But no, yeah. okay. Well, thank you, Steve. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Steve, for all of your time. That was one of our longest episodes here at Priesthood Dispatches. And I'm sure it was one of the most informative as well. Definitely go out and get a copy of Steve's book. Now to the Priest of Dispatches Paranormal Investigation. We have a 400-year-old pub here in the UK where there have been confirmed supernatural events. And what we want to do is we want to go along um, with all the night vision cameras and electric um, voice recorders that apparently pick up apparitions etc and we want to yeah, put to those apparitions some distinctly mormon um, phraseology maybe um, passwords and, and different things and we want to take an 1830s book of mormon we have a, a replica uh, to see if there's a particular page they want to talk about and possibly call upon um, Joseph or Moroni or other Mormon figures that have gone before us. So we're trying to raise a couple hundred dollars to do that. If you can use, if you can spare anything, that'd be amazing. Use the PayPal link in the description below. Or if you've got a suggestion of an item we should take or a question that we should ask to the spirits there, then leave a comment down below and we'll try and do that. 
Um, that's looking like it's going to be sometime in July. So fingers crossed um, we can get everything sorted and together for that. But for now, I've been PD. Steve was great. And we'll see you all on the next one. Bye.